Welcome to Wrestling with God Show, the podcast where we grapple with the big questions about faith, religion, and life. I'm Irish McMahon, and as always, I'm here with my friend and Irish Catholic priest, Father Len McMillan. Hey, Father Len. Hey, Irish. So, Father Len, I have some great news for us. Our little podcast has been up and running now for just four and a half months, and we already have, listen to this, we already have listeners in 36 states and 13 countries. Now, that's pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. You didn't yeah. think that many people wanted to hear from you, right? No, but, you know, desperate times, though. Any life <laughs> preserver, I suppose. Any life preserver? So, um, in the short time that our podcast has been around, we've already done multiple episodes on evil. First, we tried to understand why God would allow school shootings and natural evils like floods and hurricanes. And then you introduced us to the theology of theodicy, which you explained is trying to understand evil when God is so good. Um, it, it, evil's like the coronavirus. And then when we're talking the other day, you went a little deeper. You began telling me that really trying to define and fully understand good and evil is pretty much beyond our ability as humans. And it's probably not the best way for us to approach good and evil. So, uh, Father Len, see if you can help us understand what you're talking about here. Okay. Well, there's a whole genre of literature in the Bible called wisdom literature. And wisdom literature, it offers the counter-argument to simple definitions of good and evil. So wisdom literature in the Bible, it's kind of a sort of minority report. And it suggests that wisdom to answer evil may be beyond us. And so the only wise reaction is faith. So wisdom tries to teach us that what seems like evil, and even, even evil itself, may be mysterious and be used by God for our own good. Wisdom demands great humility in regards to our answers about evil. And think about it. some fundamentalists and new agers like to think that God or the universe only gives things that I want, that I desire. So God only gives prosperity and then uh, defines prosperity as money and happiness. So that, that's almost but, kind of an argument against God if we're not getting good stuff all the time, I guess, huh? it's either an argument against God or an argument that maybe you're just not spiritual because you're not having health and wealth. Ah, okay. Um, but wisdom literature, it actually says that God allows evil so that we gain the prosperity of a treasure of wisdom and life and insight, not money. And so as Job says, where can wisdom be found? And the answer is fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It doesn't mean fear in the sense of terror. It tells us to properly inhabit the world governed by a good God, that a certain type of humility, even fearfulness, is required to discern God's ways. And like for me, I love the book of Job. And the book of Job, it's very interesting because it starts off with this debate between God and Satan. And God says to Satan, did you see my boy Job? Job is the most faithful 
of all human beings. Now, there's kind of a trick here because the name Job, it actually means foreigner. So hmm. Job, he is the holiest of the human beings, but oddly, for being so holy, he's not part of the chosen people. It's amazing that they put this story in the Bible, that the holiest person is, is not, not part, part of the chosen people, huh? Right, is not part of the right religion, but still incredibly holy. And um, God admits to knowing all things. And Satan says, well, yeah, he's holy because you're only good to him. Let me have him for a while, and he'll turn against you. And so God says, well, I tell you what, you can't kill him, but inflict, you can inflict suffering on him, but I tell you, he will not turn. And so Satan is a type of angel, granted a fallen angel. But here's the really odd part. Satan still has to obey God uh, in some ways. And so horrible things happen to Job. He's enormously wealthy, and he loses his wealth. He loses his health. He um, loses his children to, a, I think it's an earthquake or a, a storm. And so he is in his absolute lowest. And three friends come to console him. So they're the consolers. And that's where the real action takes place is this dialogue, where he refuses the consolation of their friends, and they ultimately just tell him to curse God and die. And Joe's comforters they give these cheap, easy answers to deep theological questions about suffering. One of their cheap, easy answers is that if you have wealth and health, then clearly God loves you. Um, Job is suffering, so therefore he must have offended God. And Job each time rejects all these simple theological answers. Now Job will say, no, um, I don't believe God works like that. Uh, Job... Um, he always offered sacrifices for any sins that he may have committed. So Job doesn't take any of the easy answers. But Job's point is that one may not be able to find the meaning and suffering, even in its midst right now. It's only with greater perspective later on in life do you understand. And so the consolers are really trying to comfort themselves by offering these cheap explanations that cost them no compassion whatsoever. And Job rejects them. And I think that's a really wise thing because having been in terrible situations, you do want to say something that sounds like it's going to console somebody, but actually it's often because you're uncomfortable. And Job rejects that. The consolers just want easy solutions to suffering and evil. And they tend to, like many no offense Christians, they tend to adapt a blame theology. It's this person's fault or it's your fault. And in the end, um, uh, it's kind of scary because Job's going to ask God. Job will meet God. And Job will say, well, what about, you know, these free, three consolers theology? And God basically says their punishment is that they have to live out that theology. And that's, that's a terrible punishment. But it's a warning to be careful about inflicting bad theology on other people, or God will make you live it out, impose it on yourself. And Job's rhetorical duels with the comforters are the most important part. So he has that. And then a fourth character comes along. And the fourth character is truly a wise person who challenges Job, um, challenges Job. And 
Job at one point in this prophetic says, when will somebody come who will understand my suffering? And Job says, I know that my, in Hebrew, it's my goel lives. So in English, you'll write it, hear it as deliverer, but uh, it's actually goel. And that's going to be Christ who truly understands the suffering of humanity. But what I love is this. Job the whole time is arguing with God. He argues God, He, you know, even though God doesn't answer. One time he gets so angry. He says, God, you're a coward. All this suffering I'm doing, answer me. How dare you remain silent? And so God shows up in this whirlwind. And I love Job's reaction. He puts his hand over his mouth and falls down and basically kind of says, oh, I, I didn't know you were that big. And God says, no, you, you, you want to put me on the stand and uh, interrogate me? No problem. I'll do that. But first, Job, let's take a walk through creation. Explain to me why light does this. Why do the goats do this? Why does this happen in nature? And each time, Job has to say, oh, I, I don't know why light does that. I don't know why that happens. And in the end, God says, Job, I would love to answer your questions, but you don't have the language that I can use to answer your questions. For now, you just have to have faith in me. And so you don't really get an answer. And the book seems to be saying that in some ways, the wisest course may be to question why there is evil, but to know that there may not be an answer that God can give at this time. Not because God can't. It's that we don't have the language. But we must reject kind of the soul consoler's neat, tidy explanations of evil. Never be satisfied with those answers. We have to do is keep questioning and questioning. And some people mistakenly think that to question God is a sin. In Job, God is correct. Job does turn out to be the most faithful human beings, but Job could question and rage uh, against a situation, but he never gave up his faith in God. Mostly what Job does is complain and question. And God says, Job, you are the most faithful human being. Your questioning everything is a type of faith. That's a real shocking part. For the name of our you know, podcasts, Wrestling with God, that's exactly what Job does. He wrestles with really hard questions, but doesn't take easy, quick answers. My own point is that um, those with all the answers about evil, uh, they may be the ones who have really shallow faith. People with really deep faith, maybe they sh- can question everything and also kind of be comfortable but that at this time, we don't know. Uh, The story seems to be telling us that we will not understand evil until we can have the perspective of God. But we still have this obligation to raise very important questions, even question everything about ourselves. If Job is a wisdom text, then perhaps saying real wisdom is acquired only through this intimate experience with suffering. So let me throw this one at you. Just throw it out. (laughs) (laughs) To put a real-life, concrete uh, spin on this. So um, in my life, uh, my youngest son, 
uh, ends up with a heart attack at age 20. A year or so later, his kidneys fail. He gets a kidney donated from his brother-in-law, which is just amazing, while uh, his wife, my daughter, uh, is pregnant uh, with one of their kids. And uh, then that kidney fails, and he gets another kidney miraculously donated by uh, a friend of his sister-in-law who doesn't know him. She's a cancer nurse who hears his story and says he's got to have this. Now that's failing. And, you know, talk about wrestling with, you know, suffering, evil, whatever. Um, and, And my son, you know, is one of the most faithful people ever. Uh, he, uh, he, he's a really good Christian. He's, uh, led youth groups. He's brought all kinds of young people to God and Christ and whatever. And it's like, you know, and, and his faith is still strong, which is interesting, but uh, how do you, how do you apply this? I mean, how, how does this work in, in the real world in a situation like that? Cause you're saying, you know, you keep questioning, you ask and ask, you know, but the more you ask why, the more mysterious it kind of is. You know, I, it's, it's, it's a hard Right. One. And we have to be comfortable with, being, with kind of the mysteriousness of God, that we'll never get all the answers. But like your son, in the end, God turns out to be right, that Job was faithful. And Job complained. Uh, actually, mostly Job complains and questions. But he trusts that there will be an outcome. And even... He says that it will come out that he's made like pure gold. That maybe all this questioning uh, is a way of purifying us. Does that make sense? That maybe your son, yeah, it's terrible what he's gone through. But maybe wisdom can't be gained just by God giving us everything we want. Um, Maybe wisdom can only really be gained with a lot of suffering and deep reflection, not just from a distance, but really close up. And Well, I, I see that with my son. He is incredibly wise. His level of empathy and compassion is stunning, you know, because of all that he's gone through. It is amazing how compassionate and empathetic he is. Uh, and, and, and I'm certain that that's probably one of the great things that's come out of all this. It's probably made us in the family, the whole family, more empathetic and compassionate. You know, uh, it, well, actually, though, I would say just because I psychology, they call it uh, moral contagion. The more empathetic he becomes, everybody in the family becomes more empathetic. And that's actually part of this Job mysteriousness of suffering and evil. That there's a benefit to it that you can't really see that, like, wow, everybody became more wise and more compassionate. And in this coronavirus, like the opposite, with this coronavirus, I've heard people say some things that is very much blame theology. And I always wonder, what about these Christians that always said, oh, no, you know, if you love Jesus, God will only give you good health. But the Bible itself Job is one story, says that is not exactly how it works. And to me, those people with that theology just refuse to question and uh, question suffering or reflect uh, deeply. It's just an easy, easy answer. And to refuse to wrestle with God, even about 
suffering is a lack of faith or put it this way bitterness about life and suffering is to really settle for an easy answer bitterness is also just settling for an easy answer job questions and complains and cries out to god but he's never bitter wisdom comes sometimes with a very high cost such as a kidney failure wow um i i think that job is, Go ahead, Father Lynn. Sorry, we're, we're doing in the end gains a wisdom that only can be come through suffering. And here's the odd part: like I know I said this before, a saint said this that um, certain spiritual gifts God can only give you through suffering. Um, so, yeah, uh, Job didn't understand suffering. Um, I'm sure your son doesn't. And he questions everything, but in the end, he says, "I know my Goel, my Deliverer, lives." He gains a wisdom that can't be gained any other way. So really, in the end, what you're saying is that we should ask a lot of questions about these things that happen to us and look for really what good can come from it, what, what good can come out of it, how it can help us become better people and purify us and whatever. Because in the end, that's what's going to happen. We just have to look for it to be able to see it. Is that kind of what you're okay. saying? Well, kind of, yes. I'm saying there might be an answer that we can't see. So you can look for it. Yes, you should look for it. But you may not get the answer. Will, we ever, get the answer. will we ever see it in this life? Well, think about this way. Now, let's, let's look at the really long history of the church. Okay. So you have the apostles. They believe. And yet all the apostles, except... John, the beloved disciple, um, all of them suffer martyrdom. All of them suffer, but they didn't renounce their faith, quite the opposite. And then you had, we had, our church had 300 years of persecution. Not all at once, it was always off and on, but 300 years of persecution. And the odd part is, when there was persecutions, the church explodes because you have this authenticity and conviction that really did convert a lot of people. And then when Constantine becomes emperor and the persecutions end, and the favored religion is Christianity. Suddenly all the empire is Christian, but there's a lack of conviction. There's all these complaints. That, yeah, you know, no offense. It's like living in Italy. Everybody's Catholic and nobody goes to mass. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, yeah. So you could say, well, in while people are being martyred to say, well, I don't understand, but somehow this will turn out to good. I may not see it, but I believe it. That's fear of the Lord that I can't define good and evil. Now, long-term you could say, wow, martyrdom actually expanded the church. Uh, this unity between politics and religion actually kind of killed faith. And Or you could say, oh, it's horrible that Rome fell, and it's true. It entered into the Dark Ages. And yet, without Rome falling, the church wouldn't have expanded throughout the world. It would have been just tiny self-contained. So like, in a long view, you'd say, wow, martyrdom was one of the best things that happened to the church. This unity between politics and religion was one of the worst things. When you're in it, it probably looked great. My God, you had all this wealth and basilicas and gold. But maybe that was the worst thing that happened to us. 
that's the great humility that Job says. You should question everything, never accept easy answers, but really only from the perspective of God to be able to look at the centuries unfolding, what we proclaim as good may actually be bad for us. What we proclaim as evil may actually be good to us. Uh, it's just our strange puzzle. So when I hear people give really easy answers, it just makes me a little bit nervous. Like, oh, you know, like maybe the coronavirus, when we look back a hundred years from now, may have actually done good that we've never can see close up. Gotcha. So our faithful response is to complain to God and question everything. But like easy answers, I'll give you, this happened the other day where um, somebody doesn't understand, well, actually more than one person. Why can't I just come to church? Why can't we just come and sit there? And the person gave this really simplistic theology of that, uh, you know, if you're a Christian and live in the kingdom of God, you won't suffer. Those living in the kingdom of God won't suffer. So, so if you go to church and you know sitting right next to somebody with the coronavirus, you're not going to catch it if you're a good if you're a good uh, God fearing person. But wow, you know they, they they miss how well Job was God fearing. Job was the most perfect, and what he got was suffering. Christ, God, was perfect, and what he got was suffering, and promised us the cross. Um, yes, in the kingdom of God, there will be no suffering, but the kingdom of God is among us, but the fullness of the kingdom of God, we won't know till heaven. And so like, it's a choice to be ignorant, to say, well, nothing will happen to me. That's not faith. That's ignorance. Um, so I mean, Meridian may be great, but it is not the kingdom of God. (laughs) (laughs) Meridian is where we live or where, where the church is. Well, Father Len, I think you've given us uh, a whole new way to look at uh, good and evil. Uh, Very complex. uh, Not to settle for any of these simple, easy answers when we're suffering and to continue to kind of really wrestle with God, wrestle with what is it about, try to understand. But it's it's difficult, is what you're saying. We might not ever right. fully and be very humble about what we define as good and evil. Yep. We won't know that until we get to heaven and be able to look back at all time. Well, I think that's that's a good place to leave it here. I think Father Len at this point, and so I hope you'll join us next time. And maybe we won't get into such a deep, complex subject as this one. But I think this was good. Um, and so we'll continue our journey, climbing this crazy mountain of life, searching for truth and meaning and purpose in our lives. In the meantime, uh, we hope you'll hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app. That way you'll always know when we release a new episode. And if you have a question that you'd like us to grapple with about faith, religion, and life, we'd love to hear from you. Just head over to our website. That's www.gshow.com. That's www.gshow.com. Click on the questions button. Thanks for listening. See you next time.